Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What's up, y'all? It's your host, Will, coming back another episode of the OnStand Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking deer hunting rifles. That's right. You know, it's, it's the time of year. Turkey season's over. It's summertime. You've either just bought a gun, brand new gun, or you've got a gun that you want to do some upgrades to, or you're just wanting to switch things up. So we're going to get Josh Dalkey on here, Mr. VP of the content himself over here at HuntStand, that he's going to hop on and he's going to give us some insight on how to properly select the right firearm the optics that go on top of it, the right ammo, rings, and a lot more, and just going through that selection process and just making sure that you've got an all-around great rifle for deer hunting and probably a couple other things as well, but just primarily focus on deer hunting at this point to help you get ready for the fall because it's that time, getting that gun ready, sighting it in, cleaning guns, and just getting ready for the fall. So we just want to thank you all again for tuning in to the Hunt Stand Podcast. you got a lot of others out there to be listening to, and so we just want to thank you for your support and tuning in. And don't forget, y'all, if you've got some questions, topics you want us to know about, things that you want us to talk about, send us an email to podcast at huntstand.com. That way, your voice is going to be heard and doesn't get lost in the world of social media and YouTube. So that way, we can definitely hear your voice, listen to those topics that you want us to talk about, different questions you want us to answer so we can get a hold of that. And again, y'all, if you get the chance, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, rate, review. It really helps us out. We greatly appreciate it. We can't thank you enough. And so thank you again for tuning in to the Hunt Stand Podcast, and we hope you enjoy. All right, man, we're live. Josh, thanks for coming back on the podcast. And today we're going to be talking about how easy it is or how easy it can be to set up your deer hunting rifle. It's that time of year where you might be thinking about doing different things on your rifle or you might've just picked a new one up. So man, appreciate you hopping on the podcast again. Let's dive into this. Yeah. I love being here and, uh, just got done with Turkey season already thinking about 
big game seasons, archery hunting, and my passion, rifle hunting for big game, specifically whitetails. And it's that time. Uh, June is the ideal time to get out there, get your rifle set up, get everything dialed, get some practice in. But I say that, and if you're anything like me, you're going to end up finding yourself in August or September scrambling to get it done because life gets in the way and you oftentimes just just wait and procrastinate and put it off. And then next thing you know, you're trying to figure out what to do. But um, thankfully, because I'm such a procrastinator, I've, I've kind of made this into a science so that if I got to set up a rifle and go on a hunt in three days, I know exactly what I need to do to get it done and, and do it with confidence. So that's really what I want to share with people today. You're an organized mess. <laughs> organized chaos. Yes. I'm just like that. I'll have things sitting around the house. I'll have it in the specific spot. It might be under a pile of hunting clothes or something. And the wife will go to move it and I can't find it again. <laughs> I'm the same way. Well, let's let's dive into it, man. So there's a lot of different parts when it revolving parts and different things when it comes to setting up your deer hunting rifle. I think there's a lot of things that people may not necessarily think about. And so tell us what those are and how to get started. Yeah. So, I mean, it starts with obviously determining what rifle you're going to use or what rifle, maybe if you're going to get a new one, what you're going to purchase. Now then it comes down to the big question that is a, a never ending debate that's caliber selection. Mm -hmm. And with that then, um, ammunition selection and bullet type and optics and rings and bases, the full package that you need to get your rifle equipped and, and ready to roll. So yeah. what I'll start with is just selecting your rifle and selecting your ammo, i.e. bullet types. And with the rifle, if you've already got one lying around, then that's easy. Um, but maybe you want to put a new scope on it, or maybe you're not happy with how it's shooting. So you need to consider a different ammo type, or you just want to mix something up. Um, regardless of whether you've got that rifle lying around or you're going to buy a new one, a lot of the things that I'm going to talk about here will apply equally. But if you do want to get a new rifle, um, you know, I have a lot of people ask me, about caliber selection. Mm -hmm. I have friends text and call me just about this time of year, every year asking about what do you think about this caliber? What do you think about that caliber? Especially as we see some new ones come to market, like, you know, it's, it's still pretty new, but the six, five Creed more, that's been a hot caliber. Some love it. Some hate it. Some really don't pay attention to it, but really it boils down to this. What's the size of the animal? that you're going to be trying to take with your rifle and at what distances, because yeah. those are going to be two of the biggest factors like for caliber selection. And then I guess the third one to consider is, you know, how much recoil do you want to deal with? And my typical recommendation is to choose the biggest caliber that you can handle comfortably so that even if you're just setting it up as a deer rifle, maybe you'll be able to bring it on, an elk hunt or a mule deer hunt, uh, a larger animal where you don't have to, to buy a new rifle or completely switch things up. You can just roll out there. You're already comfortable with it. You've already got a, a, a solid caliber that can handle it. And most importantly, a cartridge and bullet type that's going to perform well at the, the distances you intend to hunt. So 
Um, I think you'll agree, Will, that we'll probably have some other episodes or Field Note Friday editions in the future to go over some of this stuff in more detail, like with caliber selection and ammo selection and and bullet type. But um, for the purpose of this one, we're really talking about setting up a deer rifle. So the majority of people hunting in whitetail country are going to be taking shots within that magic 300 yard mark. And the reason I say that magic 300 yard mark is because generally it's, it's after that 300 yards, regardless of what caliber you're using, where you have to start worrying about things with your trajectory and the ballistics and bullet drop and bullet performance that 300 yards is a pretty good number where things start to drastically change. And that's, that's whether you're shooting a 300 wind mag or you're shooting a smaller six, five Creedmoor or a 243. Um, it's just that, that 300 yard mark is where you got to have more consideration. But in talking about setting up a deer rifle, you know, the majority of the country, people who are hunting whitetails, it's going to be within 300 yards. So it's, it's just, you have a lot less to worry about if that's that's what you're going for. So what's your magic caliber? Like what what is your go-to? Cuz I know a lot of people are probably going to ask that when it comes to deer hunting. Cuz obviously you get to hunt you get to hunt all across the nation. You've been different places in the world. You want to go to different places in the world. What is Josh's deer hunting caliber? Well, for me with whitetails, I do stand hunting and I do spot and stalk depending on where I'm at. So that said, what I'm looking for is a rifle that I can shoot comfortably, but also a rifle that I can carry around comfortably, whether I'm going to be shooting out of a tree stand or a box blind or a ground blind or sitting on the ground against a tree or maybe having to take a standing shot over brush on shooting sticks. Um, I'm going to want something that's well-balanced, not too heavy so that I can carry it around yet mm-hmm. still can handle, still can, still can be a well-balanced rifle. That's going to handle recoil well, or, or allow me to handle recoil well. So yeah. unless I'm doing a mountain hunt or something, I, I don't really need an ultralight rifle. Um, just something kind of middle of the road that, you know, isn't, isn't isn't necessarily a bench gun where it's going to weigh too much but just something something right there in about the middle where i can carry it around comfortably and also if i'm not going to be doing any long range stuff i'm not as concerned about having a longer barrel so i'm i'm cool with having kind of a middleweight rifle that has even a shorter barrel so it's easier to get around in the brush and whatnot and then you know taking recoil into consideration um, it doesn't hurt to, to consider throwing on a muzzle brake. If you're going to be wearing hearing protection, you know, you're going to have a significant reduction in recoil upwards of 40%. So it will allow you to shoot a bigger caliber if you want, without having to worry about having to suffer the effects of recoil, which can ultimately result in poor shooting, uh, mainly because of just flinch and, and anticipating that recoil too much. So to get back to your question about the magic caliber, um, the 30 caliber cartridges and bullets, in my opinion, are pretty hard to beat. And that gives you a a wide 
a wide selection, your 300 win mag, your 30-06, your 308. Um, anything in that 30 caliber range is really proven. And that's coming from a guy who for the past probably about five to seven years, honestly, I, I jumped on the 6.5 Creedmoor train just to see what it was all about. Yeah. And I've shot one. I've shot the majority of my big game animals with it for the past five to seven years. And overall, I've had really, really great success uh, shooting anywhere between a 130 to 143 grain bullet. But I will say I had a, a couple incidences last fall that changed my tune just a little bit because admittedly, the majority of hunting I had been doing even with whitetails for the past five to seven years has been in open country, more mm -hmm. spot and stock where even if an animal goes a little ways, you're going to see where it goes and you're not as concerned about a blood trail. But last fall, one, one instance in particular, I made a perfect shot, uh, slightly, slightly quartering toward shot, which, uh, I, I actually really like slightly quartering shots when i'm shooting a rifle if i if the bullet placement is proper it's it's deadly but yeah with that 6.5 creedmoor um it doesn't give you it doesn't it doesn't pack so much punch for those slightly quartering shots which i mean let's let's face it if you're out there with a rifle you don't want to have to pass on a shot just because an animal is slightly quartering um you're shooting a rifle, so you might as well take advantage of that. It's not archery equipment. And, you know, you shouldn't need to have a perfectly broadside animal or deer when you're shooting a rifle. Um, you should have something that's going to punch through. And what I'm getting at here is with that 6.5 Creedmoor, if, if you take that slightly quartering shot, you risk that you're not going to get an exit wound, and therefore you're probably not going to have much of a blood trail. And so the deer that I shot last year in Wisconsin with that slightly quartering shot right at last little bit of light, it ended up being a perfect shot, but there was no exit wound and the bullet dispersed all of its energy in the animal before it was able to punch all the way through. And as a result, I, I did not have a drop of blood. I couldn't find anything. And, um, having actually made a bad shot the week before in Nebraska on an open country whitetail where I just, I shot too low and I just cut off some hair. Uh, my confidence level was already pretty low. So when I walked up and I couldn't find that blood trail, I just immediately assumed that I made a bad shot or I missed, which um, got me in a bad place in my head. But if, if I would have had a bullet that would have passed through and given me a blood trail, I would have, I would have found that deer that evening. Cause it turned out it only went about, 60 yards and piled up in the woods i just uh i was just a little bit off in the dark and i didn't want to push it yeah so i ended up bringing in a tracking dog the next day and i felt like a fool because the deer was lying right where it should have been but i just got in my own head but the moral of that story is i think the the lighter calibers are certainly very effective um especially with the right shot placement and i've had a lot of great success with the 6.5 creedmoor but you know, that smaller diameter bullet, it, it punches a pinhole on the entry wound. And if you don't take a shot where you're going to get a pass through, you might not have a blood trail. So that's certainly something to consider. And when you step up into those 30 calibers, you're, you're much more likely in my experience 
even on those slightly quartering shots where you're going to get an exit wound. And for me, it's, it's very important, whether it's vertical bull hunting or crossbow hunting or rifle hunting or muzzleloader or slug hunting. I want an exit wound. I want a blood trail. Yeah. I want to be able to, to track that animal and ideally not have to bring in a dog or have a whole crew of guys out there doing a grid search. So the ultimate caliber, I'm not going to point to one, but I've had great success with uh, the 308 in the past. Um, I've shot a few with the 30-06 and then, you know, the something like the trusty 301 mag is, is pretty hard to beat if you can get a rifle that, that'll absorb that recoil and you can handle shooting it. And again, yeah. a muzzle break or a suppressor, a suppressor helps greatly with recoil mm-hmm. um, and just shot management. First of all, because it adds a lot of weight to the front end of the rifle, so it, it absorbs some of the shock. But then secondly, you're not having that loud bang. So, you know, flinch from recoil comes from force and it comes from the noise typically. And I can't say I can't say enough about suppressors. They're a great tool, uh, especially when you get used to walking around with one on the on your muzzle. It's 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 a great thing to have. And there's they're so much easier to get nowadays. Uh, Hunt Stand works with a company called Silencer Central. They help you go through the whole process of getting your suppressor. And I'd encourage anybody to to consider that. But um, coming full circle here for a synopsis on the, the caliber debate, shoot something that that you're going to be able to shoot comfortably and confidently at the ranges you intend to hunt. And ideally, choose a, a caliber and a bullet that you're, you're confident is going to give you an exit wound. I like it. I like it. So, so far we've kind of covered the selecting the right rifle, things to think about, things to look at. And when it comes to ammo, talk to us about ammo, like how to pick that right ammunition. Like you don't, I know we're going to save a little bit for the field note Fridays, not necessarily getting into the thick and the weeds of it, but how do you select the right cartridge? Well, let me say this about, about ammo selection. Um, uh, it's amazing the number of people I talk to who, who just cannot seem to grasp this concept or get it through their head, but your rifle is going to like to eat certain ammo. It's going to, it's going to like to eat certain cartridges with, with certain bullets. Mm-hmm. And the only way that you're going to determine what your rifle shoots best is to try multiple combinations. Um, so a lot of that's going to come down to overall bullet selection. Um, I'm a huge fan of bonded bullets just because they, they typically give you reliable performance. They, they expand in a controlled manner, high weight retention. So you're able to often punch through some, some bones if you don't hit exactly where you want to. Um, versus a more ballistic style bullet, it's, it's made to disperse all of its energy and, um, a lot of them, you know, fragment to a certain degree. Some of the petals might break off and then just have total energy disbursement in the animal. But again, then, you know, you might not, you might not end up with an exit wound in a blood trail. So you got to choose what type of bullet is right for you, whether it's a bonded bullet or, um, a ballistic type of bullet. It's just, that's really a personal choice, Yeah, but 
the big thing is you want to you want to choose an ammo for your rifle that you're going to be able to shoot accurately and if you're not shooting a rifle these days that you can punch inch or less groups at 100 yards if it, if it doesn't shoot moa then something isn't right or you're not doing something right or maybe you need to consider a different setup or or swap out your ammo because even the the least expensive rifles nowadays you know you can get a $300 $400 bolt action these days that will shoot like a dream honestly um that wasn't possible maybe 15 years ago but now the manufacturing processes have gotten so good and the tolerances have gotten so good in those processes that there's no reason you should be able to there, there's no reason you should have to get a rifle off the shelf that doesn't shoot you know better than an inch group at 100 yards so yeah. whether that's a three shot group or a five shot group um so a lot of that comes down to not just the rifle i mean most of the rifles are capable but you need to find the right ammo and so one of the things that i recommend for people is ask around to your buddies even if you're even if you're just going to get them to maybe give you five rounds if they've got a, a rifle of the same caliber as you ask around and say hey man what what ammo do you have um you know what's what's the what bullet type is it what manufacturer is it i mean all these things are going to play an effect on how that rifle is ultimately going to shoot but you want to get as many different types of ammo as you can so that you can get you can sit down at the bench and you can see how they group and then from there choose the one that performs the best out of your rifle now it's very possible that you'll get lucky and the first one you shoot is just attack driver um mm -hmm. that's that's certainly possible and especially if you if you get a a higher quality rifle the odds are that it's it's probably going to shoot more consistently across the board, no matter the, the ammo type. But if you try multiple, multiple types of ammo, multiple variations, um, you're going to be able to get dialed and borrow bag and steal, do what you got to do, but just don't, don't go to the store, buy one box of ammo because it looks cool on the packaging and then expect that your rifle is going to shoot it well. Even if it's an expensive ammo, that doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, you could go buy a, a hundred dollar box of premium custom ammo off the shelf and your rifle might not like it. Um, sometimes people don't understand that uh, rifles, even, even individual rifles coming off the same assembly line can shoot the same ammo types differently. So you and I could go both buy, uh, you know, a Savage Axis budget budget price bolt action rifle. We could go buy the same rifle off the shelf at the same sporting goods store. Their serial numbers could be identical. And believe it or not, sometimes you, you go to sit down with that rifle and you both throw in the same ammo and it might shoot differently. That is possible. There's a lot of reasons for that. But um, don't don't just take for granted that because you buy a rifle or if you spend more money that it's just going to shoot everything perfectly. You need to try, you need to try a bunch of different stuff. True. So I don't want to get, I want to, I want to save some of that for field note Fridays, really diving into the nuts and bolts of that. So next you, you know, we talked a little bit before about selecting optics rings, dive into that. Yeah. So 
optics is also budget is typically someone's you know first consideration. How much money do you have to spend on the optics? Yeah. And what type of optics do you want? In most cases, somebody's going to set up a deer rifle. You're going to want a variable magnification rifle scope. Um, yes, you could you could throw a red dot on your rifle. I've killed several big game animals with red dots, and they can be very effective. Uh, and they're astoundingly accurate, even out to distance without a magnifier. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a little bit of getting getting used to, but uh, I've had great success with aim point red dots. I I shot a couple deer with a aim point. Uh, just a couple seasons ago, and they certainly have their application. Um, if you're going to be hunting in tight timber all the time, or you're just you're not going to be shooting, if you're never going to be shooting beyond 100 yards, or maybe you do deer drives, a red dot is pretty hard to beat because of the fast target acquisition, and um, you know they are very accurate once you get comfortable with shooting them. But the average deer hunter. It's probably going to look to that variable variable magnification rifle scope, and then it's going to just come down to how much do you want to spend. And the other big thing is, um, you know, how big do you want the, how big of a scope do you want? Uh, what level of magnification do you actually need? I think a lot of people who go to buy a scope, um, mainly those who are are inexperienced or don't have as much experience. They might gravitate toward that scope that looks like looks like something would be on a military sniper rifle that has a huge objective lens and you know ballistic turrets and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, the majority of the time for the average shooter, that just causes problems. It overcomplicates things and it's just it's overkill. Yeah. So if I had to give if I had to give one recommendation for like a magnification range and a, and a objective size, I would say something like in that 40 millimeter range, like a 42 millimeter objective, which is the front lens of that scope. And then, um, I would highly advocate for something like a, a two to 10 or a three to nine or a three to 12 magnification range so that you can keep it backed out if you're hunting in tight quarters then you can get enough zoom so that you can take a accurate shot at distance if you need to and really there's this is another debate that will never end in shooting and hunting but how much magnification do you actually need to take shots at distance um two three four hundred yards how much magnification do you need well with magnification, the, the things you need to consider are really twofold. Field of view. So the more you zoom in with a rifle scope, mm-hmm. the less field of view you have. You zoom in, and the more you zoom in, that window shrinks down, and you're able to see less of the area surrounding your target. Um, you know, that can be that can be an important consideration, uh, especially let's say you're you're hunting deer in any in any situation i guess and maybe there's multiple deer around well next thing you know you're so zoomed in on one particular deer that you don't realize that hey there's a a bigger buck coming out of the brush to the right because you couldn't see it through your scope um that's one of the that's one of the things to think about with uh field of view and magnification and then also when you sit down to shoot a rifle the farther you zoom in the more you magnify your optic 
it's the more shaky it's going to look when you're looking through the reticle yeah and that can mess with your head like when you see that that reticle bouncing around it looks like it's moving around all over the place just even from your heartbeat it can mess with your head so there's a sweet spot in there somewhere and it's different for everybody but i would just say that you want to go somewhere middle of the road so you know do you need to really be zoomed up to 24 to shoot a deer at 200 yards probably not can you do it at even three power? Yeah, absolutely. Can you do it at nine power? Yeah, I would say that's that's probably a a pretty reasonable zoom for a shot like that. But yeah. you, you just want to be considerate of that zoom range. And uh, also, like I said, that objective size, do you need a 50 millimeter objective? Well, if you don't have really high quality glass in your rifle scope, you're not probably going to be gaining a lot by having a bigger objective lens because even if it's letting in more light, the quality of the glass might not allow you to actually get more to get more light transmission through the lenses. So that's where things get into the weeds. And again, we'll cover that in some other episodes here going into more detail on this podcast. But these are these are considerations you need to take into account when you go to purchase a scope. And then yeah. I would say the other thing that you need to have a good idea of, of what makes sense for you is, is your ballistic compensation. Um, so what type of reticle is going to make sense for you? So those crosshairs that you look through in your scope, what, what type of reticle do you want in there? And, you know, you can go with the, the most basic like duplex style crosshairs where it's just your basic crosshairs that maybe there's a thicker bottom post on the on the bottom part of the crosshair or you can get stuff that has ballistic compensation and hash marks built in for bullet drop and even windage um on the on the horizontal line but i would say in my experience the more that you stack into that reticle unless you're doing competitive shooting from a bench or unless you're really trying to get dialed into long range shooting, you're probably just hurting yourself by overcomplicating that reticle. So I, I'm a huge fan of a clean reticle and I'll, I'll explain why in a little, in a little while here and how I use that. But also um, if you're concerned about ballistic compensation or bullet drop, which Again, that's that's really only going to be at those extended distances beyond 300 yards. Then that's when I'll go toward a more of a turret system where you can actually dial for your shot. And I really like custom turrets. Uh, Burris makes great ones. Loophole makes great ones where you can actually get them custom cut to your cartridge and your ballistics. So all you have to do is just turn the dial to the the distance that you're shooting and it'll it'll uh automatically create that compensation for you within the scope but um i'll get to a concept later here called maximum point blank range that i think is the best overall practical system for hunters who are shooting at those more practical distances within 300 yards Um, i want to hear about that you choose your scope and then you need to choose your interface between the scope and the rifle. Most rifles come with bases that are already installed 
you're going to want to double check to make sure that they're tight. The torque settings are, are to what they're supposed to be. Um, you know, you might want to use some Loctite or something to just be triple sure that they're not going to move on you. Mm. But once you've got those bases, then you need to decide what type of rings you want to use to attach your scope to your rifle. And if you go look at a shelf, it can get a little bit overwhelming. Um, you've got typically you've got steel rings and you've got aluminum rings and you know 10 15 years ago aluminum really wasn't even a consideration for for higher caliber rifles because the materials and everything at the time um probably wouldn't be able to allow your scope to hold zero and you wouldn't trust an aluminum ring but now honestly there's nothing wrong with steel rings. They're going to be rock solid and you don't have to really worry about anything. If you got steel rings, um, just about from any manufacturer, they're pretty dang good across the board nowadays, but it is added weight. And if you want to spend a little bit more money to get those higher quality aluminum rings that exist nowadays, you can trust them. They're not, they're not going to fold under heavy recoil. They're going to be consistent. And you're going to be able to cut a little bit of weight out of your setup. Um, so I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of those aircraft grade aluminum rings that they have now. You can trust them for those higher caliber rifles. Yeah. And uh, Warn, W-A-R-N-E, that company makes some really great scope mounting solutions. And one of their solutions that I really like, they have a quick detach system. So you can take your scope on and off your rifle if you need to, and it will retain zero. So you don't have to worry about sighting it in again. Really? And yeah. It's, it's a super slick system. And someone might, someone listening might wonder why would you ever want to take your scope off your rifle? Well, yeah. here's two reasons you might want to. Um, if for some reason you need to do some maintenance to your rifle or clean it, you might want to take the scope off to get it out of the way. Or if for some reason you do want to or need to switch to a, a different optical system, like for instance, maybe we're talking about a muzzle loading rifle where you need to go to straight iron sights where it's a, a state where it's illegal to have any magnified optic on there. Yeah, um, true. You know, this is a situation where you might want to take that scope off. Or if you're traveling to hunt and you've only got so much space in your gun case and you want to take that scope off. That would be another situation. Or if you're super skeptical about flying with your gun and you don't want, you don't want to worry about someone devious at TSA messing with your <laughs> scope. Well, maybe you want to keep that in your carry on and take it off your rifle. Yeah. I've, I've seen that happen to people before where someone decides to maybe spin the turrets a couple of times and you lose your zero, um, as it's going through security, that, that stuff can happen. But, uh, just choose a, Choose a ring that you know is going to help you maintain or allow you to maintain zero with your rifle. It's going to be well built. Mm -hmm. And then don't make the, don't make the cardinal mistake that can cost you a lot of time and stress of choosing the wrong rings for the amount of clearance you need for your rifle scope on your rifle. So you're going to need to make sure that you have enough clearance primarily between your objective lens or your objective bell and coming off the receiver 
of the rifle, you know, where that, where that scope is going to be close to the barrel. Um, make sure that you've got enough clearance there because the last thing you want to do is, is roll into a hunting camp last minute, put your rifle together and realize that you can't even put it on, can't even put your scope on your rifle because you don't have enough clearance and your, your objective bell is hitting the barrel. So, um, there's usually low, medium and high rings. Generally you want to go with the lowest profile that you can so that you can still maintain a solid cheek weld on your butt of your scope of your rifle mm -hmm. and see through the scope. Otherwise you might have to add, uh, you know, if, if you've got something with a bigger objective bell and it's sitting higher on your rifle, you might have to add an aftermarket solution to your butt stock that'll allow you to get your cheek higher. So you can still see through the scope and maintain that cheek weld on your rifle because that's, in terms of a shooting platform, you never want your head to be floating around. You want to have that solid mount with your cheek on the buttstock, and you want to have that rifle cradled in that sweet spot by your shoulder and just have a, a rock solid platform. So those are all things to consider when it comes to getting a scope and mounting it properly on your rifle. All right, y'all, so we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. The Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Yamaha and its full line of class-defining, adventure-seeking motorcycles, ATVs, and side-by-side -side vehicles. Up next, Federal Premium. Go beyond what you ever thought possible with Federal Premium Terminal Ascent. Bonded construction penetrates deep on close targets, while the patented slipstream polymer tip initiates expansion at velocities 200 feet per second lower than comparable designs. The bullet's long, sleek profile offers an extremely high ballistic coefficient and its AccuChannel Groove technology improves accuracy and minimizes drag. And finally, we've got WorkSharp Tools, the knife sharpening company. We just wanted to thank all of our partners of the Hunt Stand Podcast, and we're going to get right back to this episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. How close is too close, though, with some of those rings? Because, you know, I've worked in gun shops before, and I... Sometimes guys would bring in guns that had scopes that were, you know, I'm talking millimeters away from that barrel. I mean, is that when you would just go to like, let's say you're on a low ring at that point, do you just put a medium on to get further away or are you trying to stay as close as you can or you're not worried about anything? In my years, I've learned that the minute you think something couldn't happen or is not going to happen. It does. Yeah. And it always happens at the worst time. Yeah. So I like to just always give myself a little bit of a buffer, no matter what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I know exactly what you're saying. Um, there's, <laughs> I, I've seen scopes mounted so close that you can maybe only slide a piece of paper between the objective bell yeah. and the barrel. And if everything is mounted properly, if, if your rings and bases and everything are, are tightened to the correct torque specs, theoretically, you shouldn't have any issues mm -hmm. because that scope shouldn't be moving at all. But theories are different than reality sometimes. And so, you know, just be practical about it. If you can only slide a piece of paper in there, you might want to go a little higher on your rings. Um, but also, you know, you don't, there's no reason you would need to have it a half inch or an inch off your barrel either. There's just, there's no reason for that. Um, yeah. Now, 
one cool thing though a lot of a lot of newer rifle stocks um, depending on the model that you get they do have adjustable comb height on the buttstock so like savage has a platform in their uh their accu stock that you can actually adjust the comb height and the length of pull they've got different different pieces you can swap out that come with the rifles and so that helps you accommodate for for scope mounting it, it's it it really saves you because it, it's built into the, the rifle platform so you're not just like strapping on a, a a pad that goes on your rifle and is loose and wiggling around or whatever like it's actually built into the rifle so that you have a really solid platform but yeah just just be practical about that height between the the scope and the barrel but also realize that the height of the scope is also going to affect um the, you know the the way the way that you sight in your rifle mm-hmm. or i shouldn't necessarily the way that you sight in your rifle but it's it's going to affect your trajectory to a certain degree so you know like if you go to, into, into a ballistic app trying to determine what your your chart is going to look like for bullet drop you'll notice that they make you put in um the distance from the scope to essentially from the center of the bore to the center of the rifle scope is is the height that you use to put in for that number in a ballistic calculator and that does influence things um in terms of your trajectory your point of impact and whatnot uh you, you can generally you can dial your scope to accommodate accommodate for that out to the the reasonable distances you'll be shooting but if you're going to start to do some more long-range stuff there there's more implications there got it got it yeah because like i said i've seen some guns like dude i don't know how they hit the broad side of a barn with those before <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've seen some crazy stuff and I've seen a lot of guys go out and they have, they don't even know where their bullets hitting no. on paper. They just assume that because they threw a scope on there and they bought some ammo that it's, everything's all good. And that's almost never the case. Yeah. So let, let's talk about sighting in bore sighting. And then, um, was it that point blank velocity you were talking about a little bit ago? Yeah. Maximum point blank Mac- range. That, yeah. that concept. Um, so before we get to sighting in, I'll just quickly say that when you mount your scope, you can just eye it up and it's probably going to be good enough in terms of uh, getting your, your reticle level mm-hmm. with the, w- essentially with the, with the bore of your rifle. Um, but just to be triple safe, so I don't have any, any confidence that's compromised in this process, I really like to use a leveling kit. Yes, and that might sound complicated, but it's not. Uh, Wheeler Engineering makes this this. Uh, it's called the Ultra Scope Mounting Kit. I use that for mounting all my scopes, and what you do is it comes with two different levels. Um, one level that you put on your barrel, and then essentially you sync up. So you, first, you level the rifle based on where the scope bases are. And then you, you put that level on the barrel of the gun. So it shows that, that it shows you what the primary, I guess the primary starting point is for the rifle being level. And then you use a second level to make sure that the scope matches that. 
Um, I, I, I might not be doing the greatest job of explaining that, but bottom line is just get one of those things because it comes with the leveling kit. It comes with a laser bore sighter and it comes with a, a torque wrench that has the most common um, bits for installing rifle scopes. And when you, when you attach those rings and bases to your rifle, the manufacturer is going to have specs uh, for the, for the scope and for the rifle in terms of how tight you want those rings and bases to be. Mm -hmm. And the, the torque wrench just eliminates all questions with that. You know exactly how many inch pounds you should be torquing that to when you install your rifle scope. Yeah. So once you've got the scope on your rifle, then to save yourself some, some time and money and frustration, you're probably going to want to bore sight it. So if it's a bolt action rifle, which is probably, you know, 95% of what we're talking about here for, for the average hunter, you're just going to remove the bolt from that rifle. You're going to get a target, maybe 10, 15, 20 yards out in front of you. You're going to get that rifle um, in some sort of rest, whether it be a, a lead sled or just, just solid on some sandbags or however you need to do it and you're actually going to look through the bore of that rifle from the back and you're going to make sure that rifle is is rock solid and and locked into place where you have it you know, even if you need to have a buddy stand there and hold it for you or if you have some type of vice or something that'll just keep it steady you're going to match your reticle to where you can see that that bore aiming on the target so um, just, just center the bore with one of the aiming points on the target and then match your scope up to that. But you're going to want to come in about approximately an inch low. So when you're looking through that bore should be right on the, right on the center of that, the bullseye of the target. Okay. And then you're going to want your reticle to be about an inch below that because, um, without getting into the, the more detailed explanation of this your bullet is just consider that this isn't the right way to put it, but just think of it like your bullet is actually still climbing out to a certain distance. So if you sight in perfectly in line with where your bore is aiming at, let's say 25 yards, you're going to be significantly high at a hundred yards. So you want to start a little bit low when you do that bore sighting. Okay. And then from there, you're going to want to put something on paper and, um, when you go through that bore sighting, I would recommend once you do that, you know, let's just say it's 25 yards, send one at 25 yards to make sure what you did was proper. Yep. And you should be, you should be somewhere in the neighborhood about an inch below the bullseye. And hopefully your, uh, your windage is also set properly. It should be, it should be centered. And then it's about an inch below the bullseye. And at that point, you can move out to some extended distances. Um, you should be able to move right out to a hundred yards, which is kind of the, the normal standard, if you will, for sighting in a rifle. Um, but, uh, if you shoot one at a hundred and you see that it's, it's either way off the paper or something isn't right. I would encourage you to move back immediately to maybe like 50 yards and make sure you have a big enough target area so you can see exactly where that bullet is hitting and then 
that's where you start fine tuning it from there. Um, so let's just say everything goes right with the boar sighting and you're hitting somewhere in the neighborhood of where you, where you want to be at a hundred yards. Then it comes down to fine tuning and determining where you want your zero to be for that rifle and for that load, for that bullet. Um, that's where things again, get subjective in terms of how you choose to sight in your rifle. Now, that's where this concept of maximum point blank range comes into play. Okay. And okay. it's a, that's a concept that's been around for forever. I, uh, the, the guy who really instilled that into me is Ron Spomer. He's one of the most credited prolific gun writers and, and shooting experts of all time. He's also, he's a friend of mine. He's a contributor to hunt stand, um, all around great guy incredible hunter, incredible shooter. And, and he's the one who originally um, instilled in me that concept of maximum point blank range. And to put it in layman's terms, what that is, is every caliber and every rifle, I, I should just say every caliber has what we call a maximum point blank range. Yeah. And so it's a very practical concept. So the way you want to think about it is what distance is that bullet going to start to drop significantly enough where it's going to take you out of a kill shot? So if you're, if you're trying to be a practical shooter and a practical hunter at, at reasonable distances, you know, within that like 300 yard mark, um, you know, you should, you should know like, like for a white tail, you should know that your, your bullet is going to hit inside of, let's say a pie plate every single time. And of course you want it to be as precise as possible, but at the same time, you know, a lot of these decisions that you have to make when you're out there, you don't have, you don't have a long time to, to decide if you're going to take a shot or how you're going to take a shot. It's, you see the animal, it's a, it's a fleeting moment and you need to, you need to act and you need to be trained and prepared to act. So what's great about maximum point blank range is you're not necessarily worried about ultimate precision. You're worried about practical precision. So are you going to be able to hit the vital area of that animal mm -hmm. under most circumstances by using that maximum point blank range? And so essentially what we're looking at just to, just to give like a rough raw example of what that would be. Let's say you sight in for a maximum point blank range with your, 30-06 or whatever it is you choose to use. And I'm just going to make up some numbers here. Um, let's say you sight in two inches high at 100 yards. Okay. And that's that's oftentimes, if you look at the ballistic table on any box of ammo, a lot of times that's what you're going to see is that, that two-inch mark. So you sight in two inches high at 100 yards. And that might put you just a couple inches low at 300 yards, maybe three, four five inches low at 300 yards. So you're going to be high at hundred. You're going to be a little bit low at 300, but, and then, you know, 200, all the, all the other increments in between, you're going to be somewhere in between. But the, the point is that at all those distances, you can just aim on the center of the vitals and you're going to hit vitals with that maximum point blank range. It's oh, only after that. Yeah. It's, it's a really sweet system. So, okay. It's only after that that you 
like after that 300 yard mark or whatever that number is uh, past that maximum point blank range where you need to start thinking about more complicated forms of ballistic compensation, whether that's aiming higher on the animal or using a ballistic reticle or dialing a turret. But if you go, if you go out there with just a plain reticle, just a, a basic crosshair, you've got it sighted in for maximum point blank range. In theory, you should be able to just aim on the center of that animal's vitals up to 300 yards and, and be able to, to kill that animal every time. That's, that's without having to worry about any other details. You just put it on the animal and squeeze the trigger and make a good shot. That's a different way to think about it. I, th- I feel like there's a lot of rifle hunters that will get in their head about that, but that, yes. just, that takes so much thinking out of it. It really does. It's just put it on the center of the vitals and make sure you have a good trigger squeeze and a steady rest. And that's it. Now, the funny part is that's, that really does apply to that. That system works really well for, for your average hunter because your average hunter shouldn't even be shooting beyond 300 yards. A lot of guys shouldn't even be shooting beyond 200 yards because Frankly, in a lot of parts of the country, especially in the eastern United States, southeast, where a lot of the whitetail hunting is, you just don't have shots that are beyond even 100 yards, which means in a lot of those places, you don't have shooting ranges that even have uh, a target beyond 100 yards. So until you've shot at those distances, you don't realize how far it actually, how, how far it actually is yeah. and how, how much things change, uh, even at that 200-yard mark. If you've never shot 200 yards it's a whole different ball game than 100. Mm -hmm. So it's just that maximum point blank range is, is a very, it's just a very practical and smart way to think about it for the majority of situations. And then, you know, anything beyond 300, even 300 yards is a far shot in my opinion, especially for the average shooter. Like that's, that's where you really need to spend some time behind the gun so for, for the average hunter who's going out there, the average shooter, unless you're really spending a lot of time um, trying to hone your precision shooting skills, a lot of times you start thinking about all this other stuff and then you haven't spent a lot of time actually putting it into practice on the range. It just clouds your brain. So that's why I really like the, the this maximum point blank range concept because you can take out all those other variables in your head and all you have to focus on is a, a steady rest and a trigger squeeze put it right in the center of the vitals and you should be able to make good shots. I love it, man. It's just, it sounds like it's just a really good tool to have. So to wrap this up, what any parting advice would you have for somebody that's getting that, getting that deer hunting rifle set up, whether they just picked it up off the shelf or they're changing up a few things on their current setup? I guess the main bit of advice would be, don't throw a scope on your rifle and go buy a box of ammo and, and just expect that your gun is going to shoot. You do need to spend some time with it. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to the animal. You owe it to the meat that you want to put in the freezer. Um, even if it's just one solid, one solid range session before you go out deer hunting, even if you only deer hunt one weekend a year, even if you're shooting the same rifle that you've been shooting for 10 years, Go spend a little bit of time at the range. Put a few rounds down range. Um, it's just it's just going to be better for everybody, and uh, I think we really do owe it to the animal. 
Man, this is all great information. I know there's lots of folks out there that are going to appreciate this, especially, you know, where it's after Memorial Day, summertime. A lot of people are starting to not only just think about vacation with families and stuff, but they're really starting to think about fall because, like you and I, we think about hunting year-round. And so people are starting to think about that this time of year, getting getting setups dialed in and getting ready for the fall. So, man, appreciate you hopping on the podcast with us again. Thanks, Will. All right, y'all. There's an end to another episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. Just want to thank you again for tuning in. We want to thank Josh for taking the time to bring y'all some information on how to pick the right rifle for deer season, calibers, ammo, rings, optics, all that good stuff. We're going to be diving into this a little bit more into depth and detail on some Field Note Fridays here in the near future. We're going to have a lot of great stuff on Fridays. It's summertime, so we're going to be bringing y'all some good stuff from archery, rifle hunting before we get into the big swing of big game in the fall and so fall will be here before we know it just want to thank y'all again for tuning into the hunt stand podcast and we'll see you on the next one